All right. Well, thank you, Lord. That was great seeing all them women up here, right? They were awesome. So I read this uh, article recently about, uh, I wanted to tell you about this. It's a book, and uh, it was an article about the book, and it said, uh, Maybe it's time you met the world's finest woman. That's the name of the book. Maybe it's time you met the world's finest woman. And so I recommend one is don't uh, Google the world's finest woman. <laughs> it, pro- it won't give you what you're looking for. It may give you something you don't want to look for. But Actually, this is a book by a man named Dr. William P. Welty. Dr. William P. I've never heard of him. But it's a book about Mary, which is it's interesting. And uh, he's, uh, his premise of the book is Mary isn't who you think she is. Mary isn't who you think she is. Uh, and he goes through, and he says, she ain't, you know, we would tend to think Catholics really don't know who Mary is, but he was saying, none of us really understand who this person Mary is. And his whole book was to kind of expose uh, who Mary really is based on what the Bible itself says. And he went through and uh, was able to pull out of the Scripture ten tests that Mary went through in her life, ten tests. Okay, and I thought, and that's how he uh, introduced us knowing who Mary is. And I wanted to, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to talk about Mary, obviously, but I, I felt like the tests that she went through are very interesting. I'll, I'll list them. I'll read them to you. Uh, test number one, are you willing to trust God with your whole life? Are you willing to, test, to trust God with your whole life? Test number two, are you willing to give God your expectations about your life? Test number three, are you willing to walk with God into heartbreak? Are you willing to walk with God into heartbreak? Test number four, will you give your illusion, will you give God your illusion of personal security? Your illusion of personal security. And test number five, will you give uh, your most important possessions to God? Sounds pretty intense, right? And test number six, how will you bear the loss of your spouse? How will you bear the loss of your spouse? Some of you have been through that test. Uh, Test number seven, uh, will you remember who Jesus really is? Test number eight, will you believe what God has said about the Messiah? Test number nine, will you give your dreams about your child to God? Every parent... (laughs) goes through that test. Will you give your dreams? And test number 10, are you willing to wait on God to fulfill His purposes or His promises for your life? And so basically what he was saying, those, uh, Mary appears 10 times in the Scripture, and each one of those Scriptures bring out uh, how she was tested as a human being. And um, what he was proposing in the book is, as believers, uh, we're going to go through, many of us, some of us are going to go through all these tests, uh, and some of us are going to go through many of them. Uh, and I wanted to particular uh, point out this morning, I wanted to talk about uh, the test number two. Are you willing to give God your expectations about your life? Are you willing to give God your expectations about your life? And test number three, are you willing to walk with God into heartbreak? Are you willing to walk with God into heartbreak? And the reason I wanted to talk to you about these is I feel like, um, well, I feel like a lot of us have been tested, particularly in those two, two areas, is we've walked into, into heartbreak. 
A lot of people in this room have, have experienced major heartbreak. And a lot of people in this room have uh, experienced, uh, had to look, they had expectations, they had dreams about what God, what, their, what your life was going to be about and what your life was going to be like. And it was crushed. Anybody know what I'm talking about? So th- that's really what I wanted to say to you this morning. I want to read the one scripture about Mary. Uh, it's in Luke 2, 34. This is a normal Christ, uh, Christmas verse. Uh, Luke 2, 34 and 35. It says, Simon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also. A sword will pierce through your own soul also that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. That's, I think, the verse he's talking about, the heartbreak that people walk through in their life. And so I really want to talk to you uh, a little bit about, about heartbreak uh, because heartbreak is a part of life on this earth. And I believe God wants to, to say something to us about heartbreak this morning. And so if you're a person who's ever experienced heartbreak or if you're a person who's in the middle of heartbreak, I think God wants to speak to your broken heart this morning. And I believe God wants to heal your broken heart. Um, I'm going to read Song of Solomon. I'm just going to try to not preach this if possible. I just want to tell you about it. Um, Actually, I'm just going to tell you. I'm going to say it how it comes out out of me. Uh, Song of Solomon 8, 5 through 6. Who is this coming up from the wilderness, leaning upon her beloved? I awakened you under the apple tree. There your mother brought you forth. There she who bore you brought you forth. And then verse 6, Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm, for love is strong as death, jealousy as cruel as the grave. It's flames of fire. It's flames or flames of fire, a most vehement flame. I first want to make a couple of comments about uh, um, love as strong as death. And... I just remember when I was a, a little boy, and my uncle passed away. And my uncle was this really brilliant professor. And I, he was a kind of a fascinating guy to be around because he was an intellectual. And, but he was real creative, and he liked to talk about things that nobody else talked about. So I liked to get around him just to hear stories and hear stuff he was doing. He was always doing things outside of my world that I felt was totally fascinating. And, um, and But he died young, actually. He died in his 50s. And I remember thinking, oh, God, all his intelligence, all, all that he had to offer is gone. It's, it's gone. Death took it all. Death took it all. And that's what death does. It takes, death takes everything. There's nothing that death doesn't take. Death takes it all. And, and, and the, the scripture here is saying, Love is, is as strong as death. In other words, love gives all. See, love doesn't take all. Love gives all. God gives everything. And, and so when you look at love from the perspective of, because we all can have a, an understanding of death. We've all lost somebody. And all we have left of them is, is the memories, really. It's really the thing that we have that's most precious to us is the memories of a loved one that we had in our life that influenced us and you know, I was thinking about my mom. She's been dead years for years. And I just thought about her this morning. I was thinking about, my mom is, was great. She was awesome. Uh, but I didn't think that way about her uh, when she was 
on the earth with me. But the, the longer I'm away from her, the greater my mama becomes uh, because she really was a great person. She was a great woman. And I think we probably could all say to some degree when we lose somebody, the further away they become, the more legendary they become in our hearts. They become greater and greater. And, and uh, even the stories about them probably get embellished and stretched, which I think is totally okay. Okay, because I think God embellishes and stretches everything. I think He stretches everything to the limit. Because he gave all, and he, he, uh, knows, he knows what death is. I was telling the Lord the other day, this is sort of crazy to tell God this, I was aching in my body. I was saying, Lord, I'm, I'm 61. You were never 61, so you can't relate to how I... Now I thought, oh, God, he's the ancient of days. He's always been around. That's a, a dumb thing to say to God, you know, because it says he experienced everything, but, which he has. Jesus experienced death. I read this morning... Uh, how Jesus, uh, this is beautiful, uh, he had preached in Luke, uh, I think it's Luke 7, I was reading in, I don't really pay attention to chapters in the Bible, but he was, he, and it says he felt in his heart to go to a city named Nain. He just got up and went there, and the reason he felt it, there was a, he ran into a funeral. I think you all know this story. And there was a mother weeping. She was fixing to bury her only son, and she was a widow. And the Lord just just said to her, this is what he said to her, don't cry, please don't cry. That's what he said, because he felt the, the pain in her heart of this loss, and he raised a son up. Isn't that a beautiful story of the Lord's love and compassion? But we've all experienced this, uh, and I just really love that scripture. Set, set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm, for love is strong as death. Because someone gave Becky and I a plaque when we were first married that had that, you know, written on it, you know, what you give, you know, you give presents to people when they're getting married to help them be good <laughs> marital partners, like, uh, every day, like, oh, okay, love is strong as a day, I gotta be really be nice to Becky today. <laughs> Anyways, I just was wanting to share that, uh, so, you know, when we think about, not to think about death, but to think about the power of love, death demands all, love gives all. Death takes everything. Love gives everything. And that, to me, that scripture contrasts it and really reveals God's, God's heart. I wanted to point out in verse 5, it says, I awakened you under the apple tree. I awakened you under the apple tree. And I want to make a few comments about apples because apples are really an important uh, fruit in the Bible. Uh, there's a lot of people who think Eve ate an apple. But I know y'all are brilliant people and know that she really didn't eat an apple. That was not an apple that she ate. They, don't, they believe it was a literal fruit, but nobody knows what the fruit was. It definitely wasn't an apple because apples show up in many other places in the Scripture. And the word for the fruit that she ate there and the word for the, for the apple were different words in the original language. I think it's ironic that because apples are really important in God's economy... I think it's ironic that somehow or another, children's books are full of the story of Adam and Eve with an apple. It's like the enemy is doing everything he can to steal something from, from us. It sounds uh, like a small thing uh, about an apple, but it's really not because here's some things. I just want to tell you some things that the Bible says, and I'm going to give credit to someone about this apple thing because I've never really thought much about apples uh, until years ago, I was in a meeting down with uh, Steve Lappin and Cornelius, and, and I just happened to be sitting, sitting beside the, 
the great Bob Jones, who no longer with us, and I felt like somebody walked in the room with apple cologne on. And I thought, man, this smells like apples in here. And he says, yeah, you know what that is, don't you? Like, uh, not really. He said, apples, that's how, what God's breath smells like. Apples smell like God's breath. I said, really? Why? <laughs> and it was Psalm, Song of Solomon 7, verse 7, uh, I mean, chapter 7, verse 8. It says, the fragrance of your breath is like apples. The fragrance of your breath is like apples. Isn't that amazing? That when God breathes, there's this fragrance that comes with Him. And as we, as we know, well know, there's a, a saying in our culture that says, an apple a day keeps the doctor away. Isn't that an interesting uh, sub thing? Because actually the Bible says uh, in Song of Solomon 2.5, it says, sustain me with raisins, refresh me with apples, refresh me with apples, for I'm sick with love. In that Hebrew culture, the smell of apples were, was used to help sick people. They literally would bring apples and cut them open for the sick and put them in their presence so that they could breathe in this aroma and it, and, and it would release healing. That's what they believe. A couple of other verses is uh, Proverbs 7, 2. It says, Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. My teaching as the apple of your eyes. In other words, God's teachings, what God reveals, what God teaches us is, is that he compares it to the apple, make it the apple of your eye, which is the literal thing that you would not allow anyone to put their finger in, right? You would protect that above all things on your body. You're going to protect your, your eye because you know how important your eye is. Zechariah 2.8 says, for thus says the Lord of hosts, he sent me after glory to the nations which plunder you. For he, touches you, he who touches you touches the apple of his eye, or the apple of my eye. In other words, God considers us to be the apple of our eye. You know, we got these really beautiful children. Uh, I, you know, my grandchildren are the, are the apple of my eye. I look at them like, oh, you know, I mean, I act stupid when it comes to my grandkids. I, you know, because I love them so much, I just feel endeared to them. And if somebody ever did anything to them, you know, I would probably be in prison over it, literally, because I would do, you know, I'm like, they're like the apple of my eye. They're the most precious people to me on the earth. And even though my kids are precious, I just love them so much. And so I think uh, there's an awakening that God wants to do for people. And this is the awakening. God simply wants to breathe on people. That's, that's what that scripture is saying. I found you, under, I, I breathe in you under the apple tree. In other words, I'm going to release the fragrance of my breath into your life. And I really firmly believe that God is going to breathe on people and refresh people and renew people and bring new life in people. You know, um, I wanted to say, um, I'm just talking to you, there's such a controversy uh, about revival. Okay, there's a controversy about revival. And a lot of Christians have rejected the concept of revival. Um, and here's some of the reasons, and some of the reasons I agree with. If we, when we talk about revival, if we're talking about something that's, that God did and it's over with, that God doesn't want to do again, if we're, try, if we're talking about reviving that, that's not, what we're, that's not really a good thought, right? We don't want to try to revive something that God's that's, that's dead. I remember 
uh, Jonathan Edwards was talking about the, greatest, the second great awakening or first great awakening. And when it was over with, this is what he said. He said, people, there's people out there doing one of two things. They're still beating that dead horse, talking about the great awakening, or they're still trying to breathe air into that dead horse. And both are wrong. And I think that applies to us today. We're all wrong when we're trying to breathe something, life into something that God has said is dead, or if we're beating on the concept of it, I think we're off. You hear what I'm saying? God wants to read. And when you get around the people in the world, you get around hurting people, people who are, 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 who are caught up in a life of immorality and drugs and, and you name it, or just you know, you know, lesser sins but just as much, you realize God need, there needs to be something to happen because only God can get them out of their mess. We can't get people out. They need the breath of God. They need a breath to come on them. Uh, amen. And I just wonder sometimes, even about myself, God, I don't know why God, I, I was allowed to breathe His breath. I don't, have you thought about that? You know, God breathed on you. And there's people, other people, that they're not doing well in life. They haven't experienced His breath. See, we're very privileged this morning. We're not exclusive, but we're privileged. That God has chosen to breathe on us and keep us out of a lifestyle that was really destructive. And that's what they were singing about this morning. His mercies are new every morning. I'll tell you, the day we take things like that for assumption, the day we, we look down on that kind of things is the day we have walked off from, from the heart of God. I'll tell you that. God is going to expose the church, I believe this, to some bad stuff. And it's the bad stuff of the world, the hurting of the world, because he wants to release his breath to them. I, I just believe that. To me, that's what I talk about revival. Maybe that's not the proper word for it, because maybe they were never alive. But there are people out there that were alive. There were people out there that knew God, and now they've walked away from God, or, or they've become lukewarm. They need, they need the, the breath of God to be revived in them. And I believe that's something God's going to do. Amen to that. Um, well, I wanted to point out that it says, um, who is this coming up from the wilderness leaning upon her beloved? And I wanted to talk about that just uh, briefly. This is really the, what I wanted to tell you. Everything I set up now is just try to hopefully get you interested in something God's interested in. And first I want to say this. This is about are you willing to walk into heartbreak? A heartbreak is a wilderness. That's what heartbreak is. Heartbreak's a wilderness. And wilderness is a place where nobody wants to go. You know, there's probably people in this room that are in a wilderness right now of some, some sort. Nobody wants to go there. It's a place, place of, of just absolutely devastating loss. I'm, I'm saying devastating. I'm not talking about just, you know, well, I lost a, a little money at the stock market. No, I, it's, you lose everything. You lose the things that are most precious to you. you. You lose what you have poured your heart into. You lose your dreams. You, you lose everything. You, 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 come to the, you come to the edge of losing hope. You come to the edge. Because it's, 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 a, it's a valley. It's a, it's a dark place. The valley of the shadow of death. That's not... A bright, beautiful place. That's a hu- that's a humiliating place. That's a that's a devastating place. 
And every, I believe every Christian, if, they're, if they really want to go on with God, I believe if you're really going to go after God, there's going to come a time when He's going to point at that valley and He's going to say this to you in some manner. I'm going, this is where I'm going. Are you following me? Because I'm, going, I'm walking into a valley. Are you going to follow me into that valley? Because He indicated that He was with us. He said, my rod and my staff will comfort you there. But you're going to be there. You're going to go into a valley. You're going to, it's going to be a difficult time in your life. Don't you wish God would tell you that all up front and you could have it all planned out? You don't really get all that, okay, up front. You don't really get all that even in the middle of it because in the middle of it, you're trying to survive. In the middle of it, you're trying to make sense of it. You're trying to get out of it, right? I mean, I don't care who you are. You're not so spiritual and wonderful that you're going to walk through this valley and you're going to have it all together. You're going to say everything right. No, you're not going to have it all together. That's the nature of the valley because it rips away everything in you. It tears you down. It makes you realize what you really are. It makes you, it divides between you and God. You find out what's really of God and what's really of you. That's what you find in the valley. You find how powerful you really are. You find how anointed you really are. You can't anoint yourself out of there. I don't care how anointed you are. I don't care how good a counselor you are or how good a preacher you are. You can't counsel your way out. You can't preach your way out. Nobody can talk you out of that place. You can't talk yourself out of that place. You're probably going to say some ugly things in that place. You're going to probably say some, do some things you'll regret later and be embarrassed about it. You said it and did it. You know, God's not embarrassed. God's not embarrassed at us. God's not ashamed of us when we find ourselves in those valleys and we're floundering and we're questioning God. We're saying, why this, Lord? Where, where's God? And, 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 you know, everybody handles it different. Uh, you know, some people try to explain it away, talk it away in hopes. This is a great Mother's Day message, right? <laughs> I, I tell you, there's a point to this if you'll just stick with me. Because I, 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 here's one of my, my, here's something somebody gave me a word recently. They said, Byron, there's people around you who are living, who are stuck in the second day. I said, Oh my gosh, the second day? You know what the second day is? The second day is the day that God's dead. The second day is the day that Jesus was buried. God's dead on the second day. God's silent on the second day, right? He was crucified on the first day. He was buried, and he laid in the grave, and nothing happened on the second day. There's nothing but confusion and fear. And this person was saying, God is trying to get these people out of the second day into the third day. I thought, well, that's where I want to go. I want to live in the third day. That's the resurrection day. That's the day of life. That's the day of power. You know, what this person was telling me, there's two kinds of Christians. Well, maybe more, but they were saying that day, there's two kinds. There's second-day Christians, those who live in a time where God's basically dead in their life. God's buried in their life. They would never say it like that. And then there's the third day who there's resurrection. God's alive. We have hope again. We have dreams again. We're like the men on the road to Emmaus. Our eyes are being opened in a fresh way to see the purposes of God in a fresh way. And so, if you happen to be one of those second-day Christians, Lord help you, right? Well, here's what happened. Leaning on the Beloved. I find that to be beautifully written, but very distasteful to experience. Because that means that I've been somewhere that I didn't want to go. That's what that means. 
beautifully written. Who was this coming up from where? The wilderness. I was in the wilderness. I didn't want to be there. I did everything I could do to get out of the wilderness. I didn't want to go there. Why did I have to go there? Why did, why did I go to the wilderness? What did I do wrong? I'm in the wilderness. I can't get out. Finally, I'm coming out of the wilderness, and I'm leaning. Suddenly, there's something that happened to me there. I don't even have strength to walk out of this place. I don't know about you, but I don't like not having strength. Who likes weaknesses? Who embraces weaknesses? I don't think we do, or we don't do it very well. No one embraces weaknesses way. We want to be strong. I used to always complain. Everybody wants a strong preacher. You know, don't tell somebody you're having a bad day. I told a guy, hey, Byron, how you doing? I said, I'm having a bad day. Oh, Byron, please don't tell me that. Because if you're having a bad day, what hope do I have like you have none? (laughs) You're hopeless, you know. Because we're all the same. We're all the same. Well, God doesn't want us to live in the wilderness. God doesn't want us to live in the valley. So, so part of what I'm, I'm going to say to people this morning, and I believe this is the Lord. I've been wanting to say this for a long time. In fact, I've been wanting to say it before it was even a reality in my own life, but I, I, was, I was blinded to it. You know? You know, it was the... It was the, I guess, the shepherd in my heart to tell to say this a long time ago, but it wasn't the, it wasn't the shepherd. It was just the gift in me that was wanting to tell people that something is over with. There's a time has come to an end, and it's time to come up out of the wilderness. This, this wilderness time. This this time. Now, listen. There's an exception to this. Every, we're all going to have our little moments. We're all going to have our personal wildernesses. But when, a pe- when the people of God experience a wilderness together, it's a different thing. I'm going to tell you that right now. It's a different thing. It's one thing when you're having a bad time. It's a whole different th- time, thing when everybody's having a bad time. When that's the corporate experience is a wilderness. You know what I'm saying? Not everybody makes it through those moments. Are y'all with me on this? I hope not. It didn't sound convincing. It really didn't. Well, leaning means a dependence on the Lord. That's what it means. You're dependent on Him. How many people like to depend on the Lord this morning? Tell the truth. It sounds really great. But I'm going to tell you something. The practical application of it doesn't feel good. Because God is not predictable on the best days. He's unpredictable. His steadfast love never ends, but gosh, the way he expresses love some is confusing. It's, cra- it's crazy. I mean, if there was ever, ever a crazy person that you've seen, just know that God himself has a crazy streak in him. That's why people act crazy, because God acts crazy sometimes. It's just, God has bewildered me, and he continually, continually bewilders me, the situations I find myself in. So I wanted to tell you a little story here. This happened in July of 2012. So I get this phone call, and it's Bob Jones. And he said, hey, I just had this powerful encounter with the Lord, and it was about your church. 
And he started telling me. I said, no, Bob, don't tell me. I don't want to know it. I don't want to know it. You got, I want to hear it with everybody else. Come to the church Sunday. Will you come to the church Sunday and tell us your encounter with the Lord? He said, I'll come. So, this is what he did. Came to the church. He said, he shared his encounter. This is what the encounter was. He's, it was, I saw this church coming up out of the wilderness, leaning on the Lord. And I saw the eye of God rise over this church. And I saw the rays of God's light coming into this church. I was so ecstatic that I couldn't hardly contain myself. And he shared a lot of other stuff in that message, but one of the things he said, I've quoted a hundred times, hoping it would come true. The best is in front of you. That's what he said. I said, Andrew, Bob, did you know that Arthur Burt was here ten days? Arthur Burt spiritual grandfather to the prophetic. Arthur, Bob Jones, spiritual father to the prophetic. Both were spiritual fathers. To Arthur Burrow was spiritual father for us for 40 years. He came and gave his last message he ever preached here. I called it the capstone message. All he teached us, preached to us all those years, he came and gave his last message. And guess what he said? The best is in front of you. The best is in front of you. And then 10 days later, Bob Jones comes and says the same thing. Well, heck, I'm just as happy as a pig in slop. Oh, I've just got two of the greatest prophets, greatest spiritual fathers that I personally know come within less than two weeks and tell me the best is in front of me. I'm fixing to have the greatest revival, the greatest breakout, the greatest Christian life that I've ever experienced. That's what I was thinking. Well, it turns out the worst was in front of me. See, I didn't experience the best. You didn't experience the best if you were here then. You experienced a really dark time in this church. A month later, actually, I think it was like one month and two days later, we were in here and the roof almost killed everybody in the room that's that's what i said this is the best lord i mean come on this seems really weird to me lord that this is the best and it wasn't long after that that we you know we lost a really a man that we love chris underwood passed on and after we had just prayed like a house on fire trying to save his life but begged him as he was dying don't leave chris don't go don't go don't go don't go. Come back. Just get a healing. And grab a healing in heaven and run back here real quick. That's what was telling him when he was dying. You know, when you see heaven, you're like, forget y'all. <laughs> Sorry. God has a better plan for y'all than me. <laughs> it was hard, though. You know, and we'd already been through a lot of hardship. That's why I thought. And, you know, uh, one of the things that happened that was so beautiful was um, Hannah Stewart who happens to be here this morning, and Jessica Davis brought me this picture. You want to show that picture? They brought me a picture that morning. Um, and it's called the Eye of God. 
You know how teenagers do dumb things like sit up half the night and play around? Well, evidently, that's what was going on the night before. They were up, and Hannah painted this picture for whatever reason. And I think Jessica was bringing it to the church to give it to Hannah. And Bob Jones comes to the church and says, I see the eye of God looking at you with light coming out of his eye. Now, oh, you got a confirmation. You, you, got, you got three, two, you see what I'm saying? I mean, if, if you are a, a Christian who is aware and you feel like God is, is speaking so strongly to you, you know something awesome is going to happen. You know God's trying to really get your attention when He's confirming something that powerful. And I lost that picture. But I took a picture of it that I found recently. In my, it was in my phone. You know how you go through your phone and eliminate and stuff because your, your memory's done. So I was going through at old stuff saying, I got to you know, cut out a bunch of stuff because I was running out of memory. I couldn't do an update. And I found that picture. And I was so, oh, thank you, God, because that picture means everything to me. That picture means everything, the eye of God, because I believed that word was real, and it was a real word, but the problem was, you know, every promise from God, there is a wilderness. You see, what Bob was seeing and what Arthur was seeing, they were seeing when we came out. They weren't seeing in, in time, in, in chronological time. I'm just throw this out for you. Are y'all good? Let me tell you, that was a little bit better. <laughs> tell you this. Whenever the Lord speaks something to you prophetically and you get a very strong confirmation, please come and tell me that so I can go. Because I'm going to tell you this. When he confirms something real strong, it's because you're going to really need it. Now, I'm just going to be honest with you. It's because you're going to need it, because you're going to be challenged and you're going to be tested. I hate to tell you that, but I think any uh, person, older person in here who's walked with the Lord for years and who's had experience in prophetic words and God's spoken promises over their life, they would probably tell you, yeah, I think the Bible teaches us that. I think that was one of the great teachings from the children of Israel going to the promised land. You know, between the promise and the fulfillment, there's a, there's a space in there where the word of the Lord, it says in Psalm 105, the word, the word of the Lord tested jo- Joseph. The word of the Lord tested him. The word of the Lord for your life will test you. When God confirms something that strong, you can expect a hard test coming your way. And, what, and that's why he confirmed it, let you know, this is me, but it's not going to be easy. That's really encouraging, isn't it? I'm just telling you, that's the way God works. And if you can get out of it, it tell me, because I've tried. I know y'all really love that, uh, what I just said to you about that. I just, I'm just throwing that, throwing that out. I do want to try to have a conclusion. So, I think, I believe this. You know, when I was in China, I had this experience and the experience was, was with the eye of God. That God looked down. I'm, I told you all this. God looked down into my soul. And it tore me apart. That God would look into my soul like that. And because I felt completely exposed. I felt completely exposed. And I felt completely undone in myself. And I felt like God. 
And then I get to China. You know, I had this prophetic person look at me. And when I looked at him, it scared me because I saw God looking into my eyes again. I saw God's eyes in that person's eyes. And <laughs> hey, did I tell you one of the words that person gave me? Did I tell you about the romantic anointing? <laughs> I told Becky, I said, that, that woman <laughs> said, I had a romantic anointing. <laughs> I almost laughed like, you need to ask my wife about that. <laughs> I don't think she believes that. You need to give that word to her, it's not me. Actually, what she says, you know, is the Apostle John. That's the anointing that God's given you. It's to put your head on people, help people put Because she said, when you speak, I'm not lifting myself, I'm just telling you a point. When you speak, it causes me to want to get on the Lord's chest and hear his heart. That's what it does for me. She said, you have an Apostle John anointing. I'm like, wow, that's a romantic anointing. Wow. She told me some other things. I just thought that was funny when I told Becky. She like rolled her eyes at me. <laughs> sure you do. Somebody give him a romantic anointing. <laughs> That person ain't a prophet. <laughs> that, was a, that was witchcraft, boy, getting you to believe something. <laughs> Everything's okay, and it ain't. You better get a romantic anointing for your wife. I think God wants to do that, actually. That's a good thing. Take care of your spouse. Well, so I had to come to this conclusion that I wanted to tell you about. Here's the. Are y'all with me on this? Here's here. I have two conclusions. One, I feel like God is saying that's where we're at. Now you can choose to be there. When I say that's where we're, God's eyes on us, the wilderness is behind us. Not that we won't experience other stuff, but I'm just saying that wilderness this church went through. God is saying you're done, and. I felt, you know, even Marlon said it to me this morning, John Murray, he said, I feel like heaven's pulling on us. It's what Paul said, forgetting, forgetting what lies behind and laying hold to what's ahead of us. It's what he was feeling. And when he said it, you could feel God's heart saying, it's just time. But here's the thing. The thing, my conclusion on this, here's my conclusion on all of this. It's, it's uh, 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 9. I don't really love this conclusion, but it says, We have this treasure in earthen vessels. I love that. That the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. The excellency of the power may be of God. I'll tell you what, that's what you find out. That's what you find out. You, you're going fi- to find this out sooner or later. This is how you know you're out of the wilderness. When you look at that and you can say, and let me just tell you something, I always hated this thing about leaky vessels. You, you hear people like, well, you need to be filled with the Holy Ghost again. Well, why? I've already been filled with it because you leak. No, I don't leak. There's something wrong with that theology. No, you do leak. You leak on purpose. You leak on purpose. You leak on purpose because you're a broken vessel. And that's what the wilderness does. It breaks you. It breaks you where God leaks out of you all the time. And that's what Paul was saying. He's, he, was, he goes on and says this. He said, we're hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. And then he goes on. 
And he was sharing his testimony that he had to go through these things in his life. He went through these things and it was to crush his earthen vessel so that the life of God in him could leak out of him, the light of God in him could shine out of him so others could receive it. Otherwise, it's stuck in you. Otherwise, it's contained inside of you. And so we go through these things. This is, we go through these things because God wants to break people's pots, earthen pots. Uh, what's it got? Gideon had this great army of 300 men that had been reduced down by thousands. And what did they have to go attack? They had a sword and a pot with a light in it. Y'all remember that story in Judges? They had a sword and this. I'm like, what is the pot thing? I always wondered, what is this pot thing? And he said, when you go into battle, break the pot so the light will come out because the light won't come out of a pot that's not broken. And that's what God does. That's his whole purpose for people. When people go through difficulty, when people are tried and people have this wilderness experience, this, this deep thing that happens to them, it's to break the pot because God is looking for broken pots because that's the only way the life of God can be revealed in us. I'm not getting any amens on that. Well, I don't, I don't personally blame you because I don't really love this revelation. You know, I don't really embrace this like it's, this is a, a, a great thing because it's, there's pain associated with There's pain associated with this. There's sorrow associated with There's disappointment associated with this. There really is. There's failed things associated with this. That's why, Mary, you know, are you willing to walk into heartbreak with God? Because if you're not willing to walk into heartbreak with God, then God's life can never really be fully revealed through, his, through your broken vessel, through your, your broken pot. And that's why people are stuck on Saturday in the second day. They're stuck there because they're angry, they're disappointed. I get all that. We have to go through that. It's okay to be angry. It's okay to be disappointed. It's okay to question. But at some point, you've got to see something. At some point, you've got to come to the place in your life that you're not as what you thought you were. You're not as good as you thought you were. You weren't as great as you thought you were. Whatever you thought, it wasn't true. That's good news. But it's painful news to get. But it's good news. It's good news when you realize that the thing in you that really counts is God. The thing in you that you really carry that's precious is Him. And it's not you. And it's not about you. It's not about what you do. It's not about your gifting. It's not about your calling. It's not about your anointing. It's not about your ministry. It's not about your dreams. It's not about any of that. All of that is secondary to God. Everything with God is about you. About your heart about your relationship with Him, and about Him being able to live His life and express His life through you in a particular way. And that's what God is saying, I believe, to this church, that it's over. All that's over. It's over. And that's just time. To go forward. It's time to, you know, so I, that's how I felt. It's like someone asked me, hey, what did something, what did the Lord show you over there? I, this is how I said, I was just able to get all of that off of me. 
I was able to get all that death off of me. I was able to get all that brokenness off of me. I was able to just get that off of me. What happened? Finally. Because I felt like it was plaguing me in my life and I couldn't escape it. And I was finally able to escape it. But I escaped it when I saw God look at me. And I believe what Bob shared that day was really the, the Father's heart. The Father's eye rising upon people, looking at people. And, he's, and this is the last thing he said that he shared. And I didn't like, what the heck is this? I don't know if any of y'all remember Bob talking about this number 341. He's always talking about 341. Everywhere I go, I see three, I saw 341 this morning coming to, the, to your church. Like, 341? What the heck is 341, Bob? Well, he said this is what it was. He says it's, it's a shield that God wants to put on people's hearts. Okay? People who've been prepared for it. People who've been tested. People who've been broken. God wants to put this shield. And I don't really fully understand all the 341 stuff, believe me. But this is what he said. This is what God, this shield gives you. A, he said, think about, think about it like a police officer's shield. The badge, you know, that gives them authority to do things. And he says, this is what God wants to give authority for. One, healing. Authority for healing. Two, this is crazy. I thought he said holy convocation. Like, holy convocation? Who wants authority for that? That's just meetings. I don't, you know, holy convocation. No, he said holy confiscation. Holy confiscation is confiscating things that the enemy has taken and stolen. That you, God wants to give people authority to take back stuff that the enemy's stolen. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, I'm sort of liking that. How many people feel like the enemy's stolen things in their life? I guarantee you. I guarantee you. If you're alive, he has. He's stolen a lot of things. Right from the time you were born, he was stealing your identity and... That was pretty much. The next one was prayer, authority and prayer. Uh, the fourth one was authority and making petitions. That's pretty powerful. Isn't it? Authority and making, in other words, not just asking and supplicating, but petitioning things, making a petition, a declaration, and God moved. Uh, oh, the, the fifth one was teaching, that God wanted to release te- anointed teaching from heaven, heavenly teaching. That was not like the teachings we've ever experienced. Isn't that beautiful? And then the last one, everybody will love this one, was prosperity. Oh, yeah, yeah, come on. But he said this is what it's for. This uh, prosperity is for others. When there's a need, you can have this, meet this need for them. When there's a need for something, God will prosper you to a point where you can you can meet that need. Marlon was telling me that he just, him and Johnny D were over at Pappy Daniels and they do this youth conference every year and it costs $10,000 to do that youth conference. $10,000. It's a lot of money, especially for a guy running an orphanage, feeding a hundred so kids every day and then bringing all these other kids in and trying to feed them food plus having people to come like Marlon and Johnny D and different people that have some something to give. Of course, they paid 
y'all paid their way over, but but I was thinking about how God, there's so many things in the world that God wants to do, that he wants to prosper people to be able to do stuff like that. Like, oh, we got $10,000. We'll, we'll take care of your conference. Don't worry, but go do your, he asked me, like, you want to come over and do a pastor's conference? I'm like, uh, maybe. I will if you invite me. And then he said, well, it costs a lot of money. I thought, well, probably I don't want to come then. <laughs> because don't waste your money on me coming. I mean, they would be disappointed probably, but there are some pastors that could go over there. You see what I'm saying about this? That God wants to release this authority to people, to, to a people who've been broken. Those are the ones who get, the people who've gone through something, who've come up, who've come up out of the wilderness, leaning on God, not leaning on their own strength, holding on to God, and God hold. He was singing, like, if I want to let go, I couldn't. Did y'all catch that when Seth sang, was singing that? Even if I wanted to let go of you, I couldn't let go. You know why? Because He grips us, and He holds us, even when we want to let go. God holds on to us. Are y'all, are y'all tracking with this? All right, I'm just going to end this. I'm going to pray. But here's what I want to ask you this morning. I want to ask you if some of you are just stuck. You're just stuck. You're stuck. And God is inviting you to come up from the wilderness. And if you'll do that, the eye of God will come on you. He really will. All righty, I'm going to pray. You all right? Happy Mother's Day. Thank you, Lord.